We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Back again with another great podcast about another great game. We will recap the Nets win soon and talk about some other interesting things. But before that, I want to remind you guys that we do have a t-shirt. If you're interested in buying it, it's a hashtag shh shirt that you can purchase online today. Just find it on our Twitter account. Message us if you can't find it. We'll send you a link directly to it. Also, check out Sam's most recent article on Bright Side of the Sun. Just go to Bright Side of the Sun, look for his name as an author, and you can see everything he's written. The most recent one is about who will be the third best player on the Suns. This week's episode is brought to you by Indochino. Harry's Razors, and Roman. The NBA has a lot of interesting suits, especially around draft time. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see what Cameron Johnson would have worn at the draft because he wasn't invited, but we all remember what DeAndre Ayton wore. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. Plus, you get to personalize all the details, including your lapel, lining and your own monogram indochino's process is simple choose your fabric pick your customizations and submit your measurements your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks you can get measured and design your suit at your nearest indochino showroom or do it all yourself online at indochino.com right now you can get 30 dollars off your total purchase of 399 or more at indochino.com when entering blue wire at checkout plus shipping is free that's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE, for $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Let's go. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Um, he makes plays. He makes elite plays. Um, and that's kind of you know, what you knew he was going to do, but just, you know, when you're out there, it makes it easier for you. And when you're, when you're on the sideline, you know, you just watch and, and you're in awe a little bit sometimes because he makes some tough shots. And they just look pretty. Moves look pretty. The shot look pretty. Um, and I'll take it. He's doing great for us. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Another great week, another great win for us to come on and record after. We're really, Sam, we're really getting lucky with the days <laughs> that we record. We get to record instead of after the Heat game, we get to record after the Nets game. And what a game that was. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. We're recording in the morning for once, which is yeah. uh, interesting. Get a little bit more of a clear head the morning after, I guess you could say. And, uh, 
Currently I'm looking outside my window, we've got the first snow of the year over here, which is usually pretty miserable, but the sun's win has made it a little bit better for me, so I'm excited to talk about it. It's snowing already? <laughs> yes, it is snowing several inches uh, already, November 11th. Uh, yeah, it's. I hate snow, but you put up with it if you live Do you want to know what the high is in Phoenix today? I, I Sure. 85 80? degrees? Yeah, I was going to guess something <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's 85 degrees. And I'll be honest, I don't. I want it to be a little cooler at this point. 85 is not bad, but I, I like light jacket weather in Phoenix. We get that for a few months, and it's it's a nice time of year, so I'm ready for that. I See, expected it to be in the like low 70s or high 60s already. What do you consider light jacket weather? Because for me, if it's going anywhere above 70, I'm not wearing a jacket in the first place. But I feel like that's like a, a climate difference. It's like light six, jacket weather for me might as well be 45. Yeah, it, it's it's the 60s in, okay. here in Phoenix. That's when you start wearing a sweater or something. Are you one of those guys that only like wears a pair of shorts until it's like in the 40s? Was I <laughs> was I that guy all four yeah. years uh, on yeah. my college campus who wore shorts when it was 15 degrees out? Absolutely, <laughs> that was absolutely me. <laughs> sorry to be that, sorry to be that guy. It wasn't because I was trying to be an attention whore. It was just it it didn't bother me that much. Yeah. No, everyone knows a guy like that, and there's just certain people where the cold weather doesn't affect them at all. I wonder how you're going to be. We'll see. If you come down this year, what it's going to be like when you're here, if you can handle the heat. Uh, You know, it's a dry heat like they say, but uh, (laughs) how about we talk about basketball? (laughs) Let's talk about basketball. (laughs) All right, so the Suns absolutely destroyed the Nets, kind of wire to wire, taking control of that game. In what I considered one of the best games that I've seen the Suns play since Steve Nash was on the team. 19 three-pointers, a season high. They had 19 three-pointers in this game. Not too far below the overall record of 22 that they've had uh, in the past. Excellent defense. Essentially, Ricky Rubio became Steve Nash. Devin Booker Mm -hmm. is the most, maybe one of the best players in the NBA so far this season. Kelly Oubre putting in one of the best games of a season, absolutely the best half of the season in the first half. Cameron Johnson looks like an NBA player. Uh, there's so many things to talk about of, on this game. What did you think of the game, Sam? Well, let's start with 37 assists to 7 turnovers. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm looking at the box score right now. It says 7 turnovers. It said 6 last night, so I guess maybe the uh, whoever was scoring the game updated it a little bit. But when I looked up this stat last night, I saw that the Suns did not have... 35 or more assists in a game with only six or fewer turnovers since 1995. It's And they've only done it twice in franchise history. It was once in 1995, once in 1991. Uh, so Ricky Rubio looked like Steve Nash last night. But on the other hand, this is not something that the Suns did during the Nash years. Uh, quite frankly, they did not have a game where they moved the ball this well. That's how insane it is. It's And it's not just something that's rare. Uh, for the Suns either. It's something that's only happened to a few NBA teams in a single game in the past 10 years. So the Suns last night, uh, they would have won regardless because of hot shooting. I mean, they blew out the Nets, but what made it a blowout was that playmaking. Uh, And if there's anything, we've talked about it a little bit before, but if there's anything this team really has a chance to be elite at, they could be a much improved defensive team, they could be a much improved shooting team, but they can be an elite passing team like few other NBA teams can. Uh, and, and that's really their calling card right now, and it's what makes them special. You know it's contagious when you see Kelly Oubre Jr. passing to a backdoor cutter. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into a foul. It was Dario Sarge cutting in from the corner, and it turned into a foul and free throws. So, unfortunately, he still didn't get an assist <laughs> on this play. But the fact that he was willing to drive in, stall his drive with enough room for someone to actually cut... And then pass to that cutter between defenders was something that we haven't really seen this season. And it, and it becomes contagious. We've talked about this before. When you get a guy like Ricky Rubio on a team, what he does is important. But also what he inspires is important too. And I think this is the truth with Aaron Baines as well. But specifically Ricky Rubio. Passing and being willing to share the ball, that's something that it, it inspires something in other players. It makes you want to do the same and we've been talking about it since the offseason, the fact that they've filled this roster out with playmakers essentially at every single p- position now. Uh, if you include Aaron Baines, who's, who's been a surprising uh, playmaker so far this season, two assists in this game, but consistently 
two to three to four assists in every game that he's started essentially uh, so far this season. Everyone can move the ball and everyone seems to be capable of making a decision fast enough. This team looks like they've been playing together for three, four years. It doesn't look like a team that was essentially completely overhauled in the offseason. And I guess that's credit to them being veterans and having played on good teams in the past. Yeah, it's credit to them being veterans and, and having played on good teams of the past, but that doesn't take away from the fact that this doesn't happen to every team that just pumps in a few veterans. I mean, theoretically, last season, you remember how excited we were when we got Trevor Reese and Ryan Anderson, uh, and that didn't work out, but that was for a reason. Those guys were playoff vets who had contributed legitimately to uh, some very good teams, and it just didn't work out. There's something different about this team right now, and you talked about Ricky Rubio being... Um, having a performance like Steve Nash, to make it clear for anyone who maybe only caught part of the game or didn't watch the game at all last night, uh, it's not just the stat line. 22 points, 12 assists, zero turnovers. It's a Nash-esque stat line, but in his movements, he was Nash-esque. You saw the same sort of drives, the same sort of finishes, the same sort of passing and the deep penetration and then kicking it out to shooters. Uh, really across the board, it was Nash-esque. It was, it was definitively the best game Ricky Rubio has had so far this season. Uh, and I'd be willing to bet one of the best games he's had, honestly, in his career, probably, at least in the past few years, right? Yeah, I, I agree with that because uh, pulling up off dribble is something that we've uh, talked about on this podcast. I just recently recorded on the B-Ball Index podcast. Check it out if you haven't heard it. I got to talk to uh, Tim Cranges, good old Cranges McBasketball on Twitter, and we talked a lot about the Suns, and something he asked me about is what I expected to fall into place, because a lot of what the Suns had done this season has been very impressive. But one of the most impressive parts about it is that they haven't yet been firing on all cylinders. We haven't really seen Frank Kaminsky and Dario Saric have a good game in the same game. Ricky Rubio, at the time that I recorded that, was shooting 36% from the two-point range. He was actually shooting better from three-point range at the time of that recording. And what I talked about is I don't expect Ricky Rubio to shoot that badly for the rest of the season because it was already worse than his rookie season when he came in as a child to the NBA and was not yet uh, ready for NBA-level defense. But the type of stuff he was doing off dribble in this game is not really something I think that is expected of him uh, for the rest of the season. Lots of pull-up mid-range shots, some fadeaways, a little turnaround fadeaway under the basket. It was Steve Nash-esque stuff. And I think, you know, for him to have this good of a game is why you absolutely destroy a team like the Nets. It's the difference between beating them by 5 to 10 points and beating them by 26 points, which is what they ended up winning by. And I think, like you said, a lot of it, you know, we are Suns fans, right? Ultimately, we kind of filter everything through that Suns fan lens, and sometimes when people talked about Ricky Rubio being Steve Nash, I just kind of rolled my eyes because Steve Nash yes, is a two-time MVP. Right. But this game, he looked like Steve Nash, and it's just a fact. I think it's it's almost <laughs> difficult to even deny it at this point, right? Well, that he looked like Steve Nash in this one game, sure. It's just one uh, game, yeah. It's it's just yeah, it's just one game. I I still don't want to to disrespect the two time MVP, but look, here's what I'll say about Rubio. You remember we had the conversation. Uh, frankly, we had this conversation probably several weeks in a row back in the summer. Is Ricky Rubio going to look like he did in Minnesota, where he was given the ball frequently for high pick and rolls and really got a lot of touches? Or is he going to look like he did in Utah, which was sort of a multi-ball handler system with frequent ball movement between uh, three guys at once on the perimeter? Uh, how is he going to fit in with Devin Booker? That was the question. And I think what you were willing to say at the time, because this was our over-under episode with uh, Max McCauley, where we were trying to figure out how many assists per game Rubio would average this year, and you, if I remember correctly, went for a lot more assists, that he would get possibly close to the amount that he uh, used to average when he came close to leading the league in Minnesota, and I was a little bit more skeptical of that. Mm -hmm. I thought he would be closer to maybe, you know, the same six, six and a half assists uh, that he did in Utah, just because he would be sharing the ball uh, with Devin Booker so much. What we've seen so far, he's averaging 8.6 assists per game to 2.3 turnovers right now, and it looks sustainable. And what I did was I went and looked at the number of touches he's getting. He went from a couple of seasons ago, his last season with Minnesota, Ricky was one of the leaders in the NBA in touches per game. He got 82 touches per game. He went down 
last season, his last season in Utah, to 72, and this season he's back up at 77. So Monty, I think, has done a good job of balancing the both of uh, the best of both worlds. He's really right in the middle of where he was in Utah uh, and where he was in Minnesota, and has struck a, a really delicate and fine but very good balance between Ricky Rubio and Devin Booker. Because we see with Devin Booker's efficiency, that's that's kind of where we need to lead this conversation next. Is Rubio the biggest impact he's had uh, is probably on Devin Booker. Devin Booker's efficiency has been helped so much, and in fact, he's one of the most efficient, if not the most efficient NBA player right now, um, because of the impact Rubio has had on this offense. On the other hand, Devin Booker is still doing a decent amount of the stuff that we've always seen him do. He's still taking those pull-ups, he's still working out of the post, uh, and and he's still ISOing uh, very effectively sometimes on some possessions. So, you know, credit to Monty. I wasn't sure how Rubio would fit into this offense, but it looks like a, a good compromise essentially between what he's been throughout his career yeah I went over on both Ricky Rubio assists and Devin Booker assists which Devin Booker is currently not over I think the number that we provided or maybe he's like right around that number and Ricky Rubio is definitively over the number that we uh, gave him for assists and the reason I did that is essentially because looking at the team it just looked like who else was the offense going to run through than these two guys, and it still kind of looks like that, although we've seen some playmaking from every position. But just to put in perspective how good Ricky Rubio played last night, uh, in Steve Nash's 17-year career, he only had four games with 20-plus points and 10-plus assists with zero turnovers. That's Steve Nash, two-time MVP. He only did that four times. So... Yeah, for Ricky Rubio to have over 20 points, over 10 assists, and zero turnovers, that's just a rarity in the NBA in general. And for a guy with that much usage and, and that much relying on him, uh, it just doesn't happen often. So that's you know, even Steve Nash only did it four times. And I think what's interesting about Ricky Rubio is the way he carves up defenses that are sort of not really on it. So the, the Nets, for example, had a lot of turnover, a lot of players change. Uh, in this last offseason and he just comes in there and he completely carves them up and tears them apart and a team like the Heat which look like they've been playing together for a long time and just one of the most impressively coached teams I think that we've seen this it's the most impressively coached team that the Suns have played this season but for me as somebody who's just watching the NBA maybe the best coached team that I've seen play in general this season and the Heat were on top of it a little bit more, and it wasn't as easy to carve them up. So I think when you look at Ricky Rubio and they're playing these teams like this, you you can expect more performances like this once we, we play more teams that are not as good. Now, the Nets are relatively good, but they've been somewhat of a disappointment so far this season. So it's not something to get overly confident about uh, beating them. It's not like Kevin Durant is back. Right. Some interesting <laughs> Some interesting coaching decisions in this game, too. I think a big thing that happened that we may see going forward is the rotation was shortened a little bit and Javon Carter played zero minutes at all until garbage time right at the end of the game. Tyler Johnson, for the first time this season, from what I can tell, played significant minutes at the point guard position. I think there was a little minutes here and there with Devin Booker, but like there, there was actual time in this game where he was at the point guard position. And it seems like that may be something that they're going to do going forward. Javon Carter has, has had his moments, right? He's been good on defense. Yeah, he has. Um, and he's, he's hit shots, but it, what do you well, think about this decision? He's hit some shots. Um, I, to me, it was a direct uh, sort of response to the heat game. So we should talk about the heat game a little bit because the Suns have really struggled. And I made this point a couple of times. Uh, this is going to get better when DeAndre Ayton comes back. But for now, the Suns' depth is maybe not quite where we want it to be. And in the f it's only a few minutes per game. But in the minutes where Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, and Kelly Oubre are all not on the floor, the Suns have really struggled. And why have they struggled? It's because they've got kind of a lot of guys passing around the perimeter um, with no one being able to penetrate. And we've talked about Javon Carter before. He's not really that guy. Uh, who can create dribble drive penetration and, and then kick out. You know, he's not, playmaking isn't his strength either. He's just a guy who's a ball hawk defensively, um, and that can be great. But giving some of those minutes uh, to Tyler Johnson could be beneficial for the Suns. And more specifically, what I'm talking about, the Suns, uh, just to bring up the stats, have 
played 55 minutes this season without Rubio, Ubre, and Booker, all three of those guys off the floor. In those 55 minutes, the team has a minus 15.4 net rating uh, compared to when those three guys are all on the court together as part of the starting lineup when they have a plus 13.8 net rating, which is a ridiculously huge swing. If you look at just the past two games, and I think this was even more of a problem in the Heat game, but they also got, um, got outscored last night. Uh, the Suns were outscored 47-31 to 31 in 15 minutes in the past two games when none of those three guys uh, were on the court. And I think, you know, they tried, the, what the coaching staff did in the Nets game is they tried to minimize the amount of minutes that those three guys were off the court in the first place. I noticed that Devin Booker was in until the 11th minute uh, of the first quarter, or until there was one minute left in the first quarter. And then Ricky Rubio came on immediately to start the second. So they were really trying to minimize the extent to which uh, you weren't going to have any of those three guys on the court at the t- uh, same time, and you would have to trust a struggling Frank Kaminsky and Tyler Johnson at point guard to really get your offense. And even though they did that, even though they minimized the amount of playing time that those guys got, in just the last minute of the first quarter, Booker checked out. He was the last of those three guys to go to the bench, and I noticed immediately the Nets went on a 5-0, maybe even a 7-0 run in that final minute and started to close the gap a little bit. So this is a, a consistent problem for the Suns. Upping Tyler Johnson's minutes and and throwing away Javon Carter's is a little bit of a fix, but I still don't think it's quite enough of a fix. Uh, Their offense just looks uh, kind of stagnant when those three guys go off the floor. Yeah, it's interesting decisions by Monty Williams. I think how good the team is when all three of Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, and Aaron Baines are on the floor together is it they look unbeatable you know there's a few teams in the nba that there's few teams in the nba that look better than when those three guys are on the floor and we're going to talk a little bit about about two of those at the end of this podcast to explain what i mean by that so it seems like the decision by monty is we're going to take a little bit of a hit in these minutes to make sure that these guys spend as much time on the floor together as possible closing out the first and second halves of the games it's an interesting rotation move where he Ricky Rubio comes in first of those three guys, and then Devin Booker and Aaron Baines will come in later. Aaron Baines struggles with foul trouble just because he is a guy who takes hits underneath the basket every single time someone drives in, so he saves those minutes towards the end of the game. And so far, he's been subbing in someone else to play point guard at, for the last minute and a half, two minutes of the half, and then at the end of the game, possibly. Uh, end of games have been interesting. Either they're really close or they're a blowout, so we haven't really seen a lot of crunch time minutes for this team throughout this season. Uh, and it's Tyler Johnson in this game. It could be Javon Carter and others. I'm guessing those Javon Carter minutes are going to be cut down a little bit. I- I'm interested to see how and if he utilizes Javon Carter going forward and and how they try to minimize those minutes, or or if they do, you know, I actually understand the idea of trying to maximize the minutes when Devin Booker and Ricky Rubio are on the floor together, and just trying to destroy teams during those minutes as much as possible, and seeing if they can sustain that, seeing if maybe like if Cameron Johnson plays, Cameron Johnson had a really good game against the Nets. If Cameron Johnson can play like he did against the Nets more regularly, those minutes don't hurt as much. But essentially saying that you're going to rely on a rookie in those minutes is tough no matter what. And and they don't hurt as much if Cam can play like that. But even if Cam does play like that, like so Cam Johnson last night, you'd think that everyone on the Suns played well. And for the most part, that's true. But Cam was a minus two. Mikhail was a minus eight. Tyler Johnson was a minus 12. Box score wise, these guys played decently. But I don't think we can underestimate the extent to which the Suns' starting lineup last night obliterated the Nets, and that's why they won. And if you, it, it's not just a last night thing. It's a full-season trend where if you look at the net ratings on this team, the Suns look so much better uh, advanced stat-wise with Booker and Rubio and Oubre and Baines on the floor. And guys like Tyler Johnson and even Mikhail Bridges, and this is kind of interesting because Mikhail Bridges was one of the advanced stat darlings of all of last season, one of the only things for Suns fans to uh, sort of cling on to. Mikhail Bridges, the team has been uh, a negative with him on the floor. And Tyler Johnson, the team has been a negative with him on the floor. And those are kind of the only two guys who are like that. And again, I think the huge thing that would help, we haven't seen a good game really from Frank Kaminsky, at least not in a while. Uh, And I think he's kind of the key to unlocking all of this stuff. Because Tyler Johnson, you bring him in uh, as a point guard. He's a better playmaker than Javon Carter, but he's not a great one. And he's a good shooter. 
he can't really inject enough offense into the second unit by himself. I think having a guy like Frank, where we saw it from him in the preseason, that he was mm-hmm. able to put the ball on the floor a little bit and able to play make out of that elbow area in addition to hitting threes, like you don't want to rely on him too much, but but he's a guy who needs to get it going if the Suns bench wants to see its uh, production improve. Yeah, I, I, I'll admit, I, I just care very little about Tyler Johnson's plus minus this season because of the minutes that he's playing where he is the number one option. Tyler Johnson's a good player. He is not the number one option of any offensive lineup. That's that's the big issue with these lineups. If Tyler Johnson played more with Devin Booker or if he played more with Ricky Rubio, that plus minus would look a lot different. I can tell you that much. And I think those minutes we just get hit so hard when he's on the floor. I don't think the context is right for those minutes. I think you have to look at it as... We're playing without any star on the floor, and you know this is why it hurts to have one star out, right? We're going to talk about well, DeAndre Ayton later, uh, and yeah, those uh, that, that plus minus just matters very little to me because of that. But I was going to say you could potentially bring in a much better first option for your bench yes. unit. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that you kind of you kind of have to. Let's let's actually now's a good time. Let's take a quick break and when we come back we have two major topics we're going to talk about the first one is it boils down to is Devin Booker an MVP candidate this season so far and I think there's some arguments to make for that and then the other thing we're going to talk about is has Aaron Baines showed enough to keep the starting position when DeAndre Ayton comes back so let's take a quick break and we'll talk about both of those things in just a minute Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters, sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love getting Harry's razors because I don't have to go to the store to buy them. They're delivered directly to my door. Harry's is a return to the essential quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. They've cut out the middleman, manufacturing blades in their German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century, which means you get incredibly high quality blades at factory direct prices. Harry's is super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription, and there's no risk for you trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of the timeline can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to start shaving better today. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually you just brush it off or blame yourself saying things like I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry honey I'm not feeling it. But with Roman it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. Okay, Sam, Devin Booker had 27 points last night. He had nine assists, only two turnovers. He was plus 40 in only 32 minutes never, of game time. Never in his career has he been plus 40. That 
is an absurd number. That <laughs> it's an absurd number. They outscored the Nets by 40 points while Devin Booker was on the floor in 32 minutes of actual playing. And to get I mean, I don't want to It's kind of it's kind of like a Curry 2015 yeah. Curry stat line. Right. Like blew them out not to the point where you look at the box score and you're like, "Oh my god, Curry had 50 points." No, he only had 27 and 9 assists, but in like 25-30 minutes and the Warriors blew out the other team so bad that he got to rest uh, you know, a, a good portion of the game. It, it kind of reminded me of that. I think we've been talking about whether or not Devin Booker would be an all-star. Uh, he is an all-star. Like that 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 decision is now done. <laughs> if they continue playing at this rate, he is absolutely an all-star. But he's been so good this season that you have to skip over that all-star conversation. That is now a given. Now we have to talk about, is he an all-NBA player? Should he start the all-star game? And is he in the MVP conversation so far this season? How good has Devin Booker been, in your opinion, so far this season, Sam? He's been fantastic. I mean, the basic stats... Uh, is that he's averaging 26-5, and and that may not pop off the page to some people because they're desensitized uh, to the sort of box score performances he put up last year. But the difference is this season so far, 55% from the field, 53% from three, which is absurd, 93% from the free throw line. He's made 30 free throws in a row currently. Uh, That's 67% true shooting. I think you actually have the stats. I mean, he's he's best in the league among high usage Yeah, actually, uh, I'll go over this. Yeah, just, just throw it out there. For all players that are scoring 25 points or more, he's second in field goal percentage to Giannis, who doesn't shoot. He's first in three-point percentage in the NBA, and he's second in free throw percentage to Kyrie Irving. Overall, he's first in true shooting percentage of all players, 25 points or more. In fact, if you even separate that, the only player with high usage, high minutes in the NBA with a higher true shooting percentage... Then Devin Booker is Montrez Harrell, who's a center who also does not shoot at all, and he's essentially the most efficient center in the NBA. So in order to be more efficient than Devin Booker this season, you have to be Montrez Harrell, who is a center who goes against bench lineups. Devin Booker is essentially the most efficient high-usage player in the NBA currently, and the real stat, the real only stat that matters when talking about all NBA or MVP this season wins. The Suns are six and three. Yep. They're six and three, and Devin Booker is by far their best player, but also mm-hmm. the most efficient guard in the NBA, and by usage, the most efficient player in the NBA. It's kind of nuts to, yeah, look, I, I, I knew, <laughs> and we talked about it, Devin Booker was going to be good this season. He's improved every year. He's gotten better in playmaking every year. His true shooting percentage has gone up every year. But to see how he's picked his spots, to see how he's made decisions so far this season, and this is, I think, the biggest change in his game, has completely blown me away. And I think there is an argument to, to make that he could be even considered the most improved player in the NBA because of how ah. much his... his the, 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 the numbers are insane. Okay, it's fair that to say... One- that one might go to Pascal two years in a row, honestly. That's a, and that's a fair thing to say. <laughs> but to go to go from a 19-win team to whatever the Suns are going to be this season and at the same time being the most efficient player in the NBA, that's kind of, a, that's kind of an insane jump. I, I'm, just, I'm just shocked at how good he's been so far this season. Yeah, it's shocking. And, and one thing I tweeted out just recently is that um, if you define most valuable player as who has the most valuable impact on their team, which is pretty self-explanatory, right? We can look at net rating swings. And right now, the Suns are 21.5 points per 100 possessions better when Devin Booker is on the floor than they are when he's off. Uh, and if you compare that to the other superstars around the NBA, it's tied exactly with LeBron James. LeBron is also a plus 21.5. Um, it's slightly worse, just ever so slightly, than Kawhi Leonard. Uh, but it's better than Pascal Siakam, who's who's been one of the best players on one of the best teams right now in Toronto. It's better than Giannis. It's better than Jokic. It's better than Embiid. It's better than Harden. It's better than Lillard. It's better than Kyrie. And I could go on and on and on. It's one of the top superstars in the NBA uh, based on that portrait. So 
if we're talking about most valuable, that to me sounds like most valuable. And I understand some of that is because of the discrepancy we were just talking about, sort of yeah. Uh, yeah. the struggles that the bench is having make a stat like that look a little better because Devin Booker looks so much better in comparison to his struggling bench. But uh, it doesn't take away from the fact that Devin Booker is what's making this team run right now. Um, you know, to an extent, obviously, you have to give credit to Rubio, you have to give credit to Baines. Uh, but Booker is at the center of it all. And it really just comes down to wins, because we know for a fact with this award, that uh, you if the Suns win 40 or 45 games, just like Kobe in 2006, you're not going to, it doesn't matter what Booker averages, you're not going to win that MVP. The one exception to that rule is Russell Westbrook a couple of years ago. And that took an insane stat stuffing campaign of him getting all those triple doubles, uh, kind of for the media to ignore that his team wasn't that good narrative. from a win-loss perspective. It's narrative. Now, yes. so, but it's about narrative. So what narrative does Devin Booker have in his favor? He has in his favor that the Suns were a 19-win team last year. And if yes. they can get a plus 30 to 35 win turnaround, because I think that's what it's going to take, 50 or 55 wins, uh, he has a real shot at MVP, but nothing else. So if they stay on this exact same current pace, they're 6-3 and three right now, they're on pace for 55 wins, and I think that right there should be the benchmark. But, but 40 or 45 isn't going to get it done, not for MVP. The narrative case for Devin Booker is that he is a young star player who the media doubted for years, who is now winning not only in the face of those medias, but to, to a point in the face of his own owner, someone who has actively undermined this organization at every, at every cost. And coming from a 19-win team, starting the season with one of the biggest blowouts of his career, and then the second best player on the team being suspended for 25 games, and him carrying the team throughout that drought, missing the second best player of the team, which is arguable uh, with DeAndre Ayton so far this season. We'll talk about that in a second. To wins without carrying the team to wins without DeAndre Ayton and showing his value in that time. That's the narrative case. Like he's got, he's got the narrative case as well. Now I will say he's not going to win MVP. Don't get too excited. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Suns fans. Uh, Even, you know, they'd have to win 55 games, which is hard. Injuries will happen. Injuries happen, not just to the Suns, but to every team in the NBA. So, We'll see how they fight through those injuries. We'll see if uh, you know Devin Booker can play more games than he's played in the last few seasons as well. He's got to play games. That's the case with um, everyone in the MVP race. It's the reason Kawhi Leonard hasn't won, even though he's probably been the best player in the NBA for more than one season. But And I also think that a lot of these guys who are voting are guys who don't really like Devin Booker. And <laughs> maybe they will by the end of this season if they win a lot of games. And that's part of the narrative case for him. But I think at this point of the season, it's inarguable that he's in the MVP race. And I, and I love that Suns fans are chanting it for him at the free throw line so far this season. Here's my question for you, just to play devil's advocate a little bit. So one of the reasons, Devin Booker, you know, we just spent 10 minutes on our podcast to open up uh, raving about Ricky Rubio and Ricky Rubio's impact. So yeah. I'm just thinking about narratives, right? Last season, Devin Booker, 36% of his field goals were unassisted. That is a very, or sorry, sorry, 36% of his field goals were assisted. That's what I meant to say, which is a very, very small number. He was thrust into this quasi-hardened role where he essentially had to create everything for himself. What we've seen this season, he continues to be very good as an isolation player, as a post-up player, but 55% of his field goals are assisted. That is a huge jump up from last year. It's part of the reason he's shooting 50% from three-point range. Um, and, and that's had a huge effect on his game. Where does that fall into the argument of whether or not he deserves MVP? Because if you think about it, like, you know, is it entirely fair to accredit Booker's jump in offensive production all to Ricky Rubio and use that as an argument against him for MVP? I don't know. But when was the last time we saw an MVP who kind of scored primarily in uh, an off-ball role and wasn't dominating possession after possession? The MVP be- belongs to players who dominate possession after possession. So I think that is actually a good argument against it that for, for Devin Booker. But I think that the efficiency numbers are so eye-popping. <laughs> they're, they're so 67%. True shooting percentage, for the record. That's what he currently has. That's, you know, that's like DeAndre Jordan at his peak level, except that he's shooting from all over the court. He's at mid-range, he's at the rim, and right. he's shooting from the three-point line. 
the efficiency numbers are so eye popping that to me, if you were if you were looking at this completely objectively, that wouldn't matter. And yes, if you were looking at it completely objectively, you would probably still have Giannis above Devin Booker. You would probably still have Kawhi Leonard, even with the load management above Devin Booker so far this season. And then, of course, you got to talk about LeBron, which we're going to talk about at the end of this episode, uh, is up there as well. LeBron has been absolutely insane this season. So what I guess what I'm saying is he's not leading the MVP race. <laughs> he's just in that conversation mm-hmm. at this point of the season. Yeah. And that's that says a lot, I guess, it more does. than anything else. That says a lot, I think, that he's been so good. This um, sort of joking comparison that I made last night was I was like, the Suns' backcourt right now looks like if you ever got prime Steve Nash to play with prime Ray Allen. Um, and so I think, <laughs> I think that's sort of where Booker is. Uh, because Ray Allen was not an MVP candidate in his prime. He was a 25-point-per-game, 5-assists-per-game superstar for the Sonics. He was a number one option on a playoff team. Um, but the way he played was kind of similar to what Booker is doing right now with the combination of off-ball three-point shooting but also on-ball mid-range uh, ability. And and you can be a superstar without having to dominate possession after possession, but it just means uh, you might be a little bit more... Like, Devin Booker might be an all-NBA player this season. Uh, MVP is just a little bit harder. That's all I'm saying. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit harder. It's really fucking hard. <laughs> I just... If you look at the guards... And let's talk about All-Star Game. If you look at the guards in the West, at this point, he should start the All-Star Game at the very least. Uh, and, and you know, yes, I'm a homer. <laughs> yes, I really want him to. But I think the case is there. It's kind of inarguable. I agree. Uh, um, I, well, I haven't looked, <laughs> I haven't looked in depth at, at every single stat line. Like, I don't know how, uh, who, who's the field? It's Harden, Westbrook, Lillard. Help me out here. Well, no curry, no, I think no the clay. big the big difference is that there's no curry, no clay. There's Demar Derozan is 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 up there, but I think that you look at him, you can you can start him as, at the three position, and I think the same is true with is, Kawhi um, Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi's a forward for sure. Paul George is a forward. Is Luca a forward? And Luca's definitely a forward. I don't think okay. that you can right. put him All in right. as the guard position. Then, uh, then yeah, Booker's he's getting in, and if his only competition, I mean, can we not think of anyone other than Harden? Westbrook and, and Lillard right now? Harden, Westbrook, Lillard. Because um, if C- that's... I mean, there's CJ, but he hasn't been yeah. very good so far if, this season. If that's, if that's it, then Do- yeah, Donovan Mitchell? Uh, you know, Donovan oh, yes. Mitchell. It's probably uh, his yeah. biggest competition. Right. I don't even know. I mean, it's yeah. arguable. Lillard, if the Trailblazers continue to disappoint, it'd be arguable. How hilarious would this be? That the starting backcourt could be Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be that would be really funny. <laughs> 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 yeah, at least uh, I guess Devin Booker would be the point guard in, it's, in it's that. It's Donovan. One, right? Yeah, so Donovan Mitchell is probably big competition right now. Um, <laughs> he's a forward, but Andrew, does Andrew Wiggins have an All Star case through ten games? Uh, he's been really good. <laughs> <laughs> he's been really good. I think that you know he it's uh, he's not Andrew Wiggins. He's not the one we we we've thought of. I think he's shooting a lot more three pointers and. And there's a case to be made. Let's let's look at that more uh, in the future weeks when we okay. actually prepare to talk about that in a more detailed way. Um, last night I tweeted something that some people liked, some people didn't. And it was that Aaron Baines should start when DeAndre Ayton returns. And it's because Aaron Baines has been so good. And it's not because DeAndre Ayton is not good. <laughs> I want to clarify that. But I think a lot of people who are against this are not realizing how good Aaron Baines has been so far this season. Aaron Baines is one of the better players in the NBA, arguably top 30, top 40 player in the NBA, maybe higher if you look at it. He's second in the league for centers in true shooting percentage uh, if you look at actual games played, and, and he's fifth in net rating. He's number one in offensive rating. When Baines and Booker share the court together... They boast an absolutely insane 122.4 offensive rating, a 109 defensive defensive rating, which is number two in the NBA in offensive rating. The Suns' current starting lineup with Aaron Baines in the lineup is number one in the NBA in five-man offensive rating and number three in defensive rating. When Baines is on the court with Devin Booker, it's a 121.8 offensive rating. When he's not 
on the court and Devin Booker is on the court, that goes down to a 104.5 offensive rating. I wanted to say a lot of this because the point I was trying to make with Aaron Baines on the court and him starting is that he makes Devin Booker better. And I think this is a huge thing with Aaron Baines. It's the screens, it's the shooting, and it's the leadership. Those things matter a lot to this team. And what I'm saying this, what I'm saying is when DeAndre Ayton returns, at least at first, he should start on the bench. And him starting on the bench allows him to come back. It allows him to gain his confidence. It allows him to go against some bench lineups. It also fixes one of the biggest problems we've been talking about, which is no go-to scorer in those bench lineups at all. DeAndre Ayton could easily be that go-to scorer. But when you look at the numbers, there is no case to be made that Aaron Baines should not be playing with Devin Booker as much as possible, in my opinion. Do you think that Aaron Baines should start even when DeAndre Ayton returns, Sam? I'm going to respond to that in just a second, but I have to ask you one question first because you're ignoring the other option. Ayton at power forward, Baines at center. Why do you say no? Because okay. you, ha- you have to justify that argument as well, just because you have to admit it's an option. I do admit it's an option, but when you look at the lineup stats, what you see at the top of a lot of two-man lineup stats in, in this uh, specific... And here's, here's the thing. Yes, it's early to even talk about lineup stats. Lineup stats become a lot more valuable about halfway through the season because that's when teams actually have played a relatively large sample size across the board. What's interesting about the Suns start this season is they've had one of the more difficult strength of schedules so far this season, so I actually think the lineup stats are particularly useful uh, compared to other teams. But Dario Saric is actually up there in a lot of lineup stats, and I I know a lot of people think that Dario has been a not very uh, disappointing player so far to start this season, but a couple things on Dario. Defensively, he's been very good, one, and two... Playmaking-wise, he's also been very good. And to me, I don't like the idea of DeAndre Ayton playing power forward in any lineups because he doesn't really shoot threes. And yes, Aaron Baines does, but Aaron Baines is still kind of a slow, lumbering guy. And I'd rather have, if you're going to have a three-point shooter in that lineup, you might as well put it all... Here's the other part. Devin Booker's been posting up a lot in these lineups so far. And if you put... DeAndre Ayton and Aaron Baines in those lineups, it becomes a lot more difficult to post up. And I think in a lot of cases, if you look at any argument that it can be made about DeAndre Ayton playing power forward, you can also apply that to him coming off the bench. Yes, he's going to play up against worse competition. That's the idea of playing power forward. He plays against smaller guys. He's probably going to be playing against smaller guys and worse competition coming off the bench. I just don't, I just don't, I think that it's going really well right now. This five-man lineup looks very good. Regardless of the numbers, box score numbers that Dario Saric <coughs> is putting up, all of the advanced stats say, say that it's going pretty well. And I just don't think that it gets better with DeAndre Ayton, who is a center, in my opinion, playing mm-hmm. power forward. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. Um, I don't think Ayton is a power forward. I don't want him to be a power forward. And I think the point about trying to have guys who are fluid uh, in their movements is really important. It's not just about three-point shooting. It's about having guys who can move. Now, that being said, uh, so that, that basically leads us to a conversation where it's Aiton versus Baines and there's no other options. And I, I think so much, like, I understand everything you're saying. I'm a big stat guy myself. So Aaron Baines, all the mm-hmm. impact stats, that stuff mm-hmm. is important to me. But so much rests on DeAndre Aiton for the future, for the sake of the future of this franchise, to be the number two star for this franchise. And if he's not the number two star, you kind of want to find that out quickly. <laughs> not not so you can give up on him so quickly, but it's just, it's so much rests on this guy who we're clearly committing to, who's clearly already going to get that second contract, and it's going to be a big extension, presumably. Meanwhile, Aaron Baines is uh, about to turn 33 years old and on an expiring yeah. contract. Now, I don't want to fuck with yeah. a playoff team. Right. So I want to wait a little bit longer. If it's, you know, uh, 25 games, uh, if, if Aiton has served his suspension, you've played 26 games at that point. If the Suns are 18 and 8, 17 and 9, 16 and 10, somewhere around there, uh, I agree. It's really, really hard to mess with the mojo of something like that and pull Baines out of the starting lineup 
On the other hand, are we ruining... You say Aiton can easily build back his confidence playing off the bench. There's nothing that tells me that he needs to build his uh, build his confidence back up in the first place. This was a guy who had a very successful rookie season, at least from a box score standpoint, if not from a winning standpoint. But I don't think that's his fault, just as I don't think it's Devin Booker's fault. Uh, so I don't think there's any confidence that needs to be built back up. I'm afraid of the opposite, that you destroy his confidence by sending him to the bench. Uh, and, and, you know, ultimately, we want this to be a playoff team very bad. We also have to admit to ourselves that if a championship is the future goal a few years down the line, this is still a rebuilding team in many aspects. And player development still needs to be number one. Uh, and substituting a 32-year-old Baines for a second-year player who you're hoping is going to be your second superstar going forward, it's just it's a tough thing to ask of him. Um, and, and I guess that just means my other question to you would be, I don't care so much about the starting lineup, I guess, yeah. uh, but I care about minutes. Yes. So if Aaron Baines is going to start, because I guess it, it, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world. The Suns are obviously a good team with it. Is Aaron Baines playing 15 or 20 minutes again? Is he going back to his, uh, we're giving right. you 20 minutes a game and you get to use all six of your fouls and DeAndre Ayton plays the bulk of those minutes and, and you try to have him figure it out? Or is DeAndre Ayton the guy who suffers and he's playing 15 or 20 minutes per game? Because if you're going to do that to your second year player in the midst of the season, especially, and I know it's unfair context, but we have to bring it up, in the midst of the season that Luka Doncic and Trey Young are having, having to have your number one overall pick who your entire fan base swears was the right pick to come off the bench and play 15 or 20 minutes per game at that point you would have to be uh to willing to admit that you made the wrong choice let's be frank yeah uh i don't care (laughs) about that at this point uh if you're admitting you made the wrong choice you're just kind of admitting reality at this point and i think the uh, the opinion on suns, suns fans is going to change if it hasn't already just watching luka Doncic this season so far i just don't really care perception wise i understand why deandre ayton would uh but i at, at the at some point you have to recognize that the number one goal in the nba is to win games and aaron baines has been one of the best centers in the nba so far this season and i think there's possible there's many possible solutions to this there's a possible solution of both of them starting i don't like it but then you can kind of stagger their minutes <laughs> yeah, it, after it that it just seems like a compromise that nobody likes that much like yeah. it appeases everyone a little bit but everyone still kind of hates that well i think even like even the warriors start big right they start with two guys the, uh, i mean even looking at them there there's during their whole championship run with how much they revolutionized the NBA or whatever they were doing, they still started essentially with two centers on the court in their best lineup. Um, they they went small. So there's a possibility with the Suns where they start with two massive guys and then they slowly stagger their minutes throughout the game. Not a huge fan of that. The other option is they start DeAndre Ayton and, and he looks good. And and, and here's a, a big part of it. There's a possibility that Aaron, that Aaron Baines is not sustaining this when DeAndre Ayton comes back. And it's more obvious that his role in the long term is a guy who comes off the bench and and fouls a lot and hits some threes off the bench and that's it. But the other option is Aaron Baines comes off the bench and then ends up playing a lot of time with Devin Booker anyway. Maybe closing the game with Aaron Baines, maybe playing as much as possible with Aaron Baines. And I like that too. It's just looking at this, it's just makes it clear to me that you have to maximize the minutes of Aaron Baines playing with Devin Booker. And that's the important thing. Those screens are huge, but also there's, there's seven centers in the NBA who've attempted 33 point attempts or more. Baines is first in the NBA in three point percentage for centers. There's 20 centers who've attempted more than 50 field goal attempts in the NBA. Out of those 20 centers, Baines is first in true shooting percentage. I'm not saying that DeAndre Ayton should come off the bench because he's not good enough to start. I'm saying he should come off the bench because Aaron Baines is one of the best centers in the NBA. That's just where we're at at this point. I understand that maybe this isn't sustainable. I understand that. But the ultimate goal is to win games at this point. And if he continues to play at this level, he made the argument for us. Aaron Baines should start. He is a starting center as long as he continues to play like this. Maybe he doesn't in the future, or maybe DeAndre Ayton plays even better. It's just hard to believe that there's very few players that are playing better than him right now. There aren't. 
and he's been amazing. But so a let's give it another ten games because if he's shooting forty seven percent from deep still ten or fifteen games from now, I think that changes how I feel about things. I have a feeling he's going to start slipping down, and then he's going to look like less you know the best center in the NBA. But b you say the ultimate goal is to win games, but the ultimate ultimate goal really is not to win games; it's to win a championship. And so, you know, it, the, James Jones has raised the ceiling, or sorry, he's, he's raised the floor by bringing in Baines. <laughs> he hasn't raised the ceiling. He's raised the floor by bringing in Baines and bringing in Rubio, arguably lowering the ceiling of this team's actual ability to get deep into the playoffs and win a championship. Because if you want to win a championship and not just be a 6th, 7th, 8th seed, which I recognize that right now is a phenomenal goal to have for this season. But if you want to win a championship, it's because DeAndre Ayton's going to be your second best player. And, and that's really all I'm saying. Does he deserve to start right now over Aaron Baines in terms of impact? No, he doesn't. I, I, I understand uh, mm-hmm. the statistical argument there. But it's just, I, I guess we're just kind of going in circles, man. Like, yeah. if DeAndre Ayton can't be your second best player on a championship contending team, you want to find that out now, and you kind of want to, you know, turn him in for something else. You know, you want to hit yeah. up Minnesota and see what it's going to take to bring Carl Anthony Towns onto the Suns and build that core instead. Because Aiton needs to be your second superstar if you want to not just get into the first round of the playoffs, but go deeper than that. Uh, and Aaron Baines, you know, next season, I'd love to re-sign the guy. And he's amazing right now, but, you know, he's only getting older. Rubio's only getting older. So if we're talking about continuing on a positive trajectory towards this championship goal, uh, those guys are not the future. Uh, so we need to look at them kind of in those terms. This conversation is going to be ongoing, obviously. Uh-huh, yeah. We have a lot of time to talk about it. Uh, Aiton's only been out seven games now, so <laughs> or eight games now, whatever it is. We have a lot of time to talk about it. A few more weeks, a few more months. The next game, the game tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, is against the Los Angeles Lakers in maybe the most important Suns versus Lakers game since 2010, <laughs> most likely. The Lakers are now currently 7-2, and two, and their only losses came against the Clippers in the first game of the season. They went on a seven-game win streak, and they just lost to Toronto, who's been playing very well uh, last night. The Lakers are good. They're very good. Their defense looks good. Um, Dwight Howard is somehow turned into an all-defense player <laughs> again in some weird way. Uh, uh, that, to me, is one of the more unsustainable things happening on a good team because Dwight Howard is just a weirdo and his ego gets in his way no matter what. But the LeBron Davis pairing, I expected it to work right away. And it has. They're just kind of two guys that are meant to play together. They post up way more than you would expect. Uh, Lots of LeBron posts ups. One of the most effective. I think he's the most effective post up player so far in the NBA. Lots of Anthony Davis post ups. I think Anthony Davis's post ups are one of the higher shooting percentages in the NBA. So individual defense is going to matter a lot in this game. I assume we're going to see a lot of Kelly Oubre on LeBron James because yes, Mikael so Bridges, if he if he posts up Mikael Bridges, that's kind of Barbecue a, chicken. Yeah. It, it, you know, Mikael's just not ready for that. He's got the long arms to help contest at the basket, but the fact is those shots are going to come at the basket. <laughs> He's not going to stop him <laughs> from getting there. What do you think about this Lakers game? Well, the Lakers are scary. Uh, honestly, like this is such an important game for the Suns, and, and I'm hoping for the win. Um, but the scary thing about the Lakers is that they're 7-2 and two right now while shooting 31% from three as a team. And you know the drives that LeBron is able to make, uh, not to mention the gravity that Anthony Davis has inside, and their ability to open up shooters, 31% is unsustainable for them. That three-point percentage is going to start creeping up because they've got some shooters on this team. Um, Kyle Kuzma has looked absolutely uh, awful yeah. so far, but that's going to get better. You know, Avery Bradley's a guy who can hit shots. Uh, Danny Green, obviously a guy who can hit shots. Uh, they've got some shooters on their team. And once those shots start falling and everything starts clicking for this Lakers team, they really do look like a, a, a firm championship contender. So this is going to be a tough team uh, uh, for the Suns to play. I think it's interesting that you mentioned the amount of post-ups. Uh, they're on the slower end of things. It's yeah. kind of been a consistent trend with LeBron James over the past several uh, teams he's played for. He's slowed down the pace. Um, and I, I had it pulled up earlier. I don't know if I have it anymore. 
They are 21st in pace so far, and the Suns are in the top 10. Monty is actually kind of pushing the pace a little bit. So I think that's going to be one of the areas where maybe the Suns will try to find an advantage, try and challenge their centers uh, like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard to get back on defense and really contest your shots and and try and score in transition. Um, But in that way, maybe it'll feel like one of the Suns-Lakers games of, of the 2000s, if that's really how it shakes out. Yeah, that's. I really hope so, <laughs> I think, because what you don't want is the Suns' game plan of allowing contested three-pointers is essentially, it's kind of what the Bucks did last year. They force a team to shoot threes, but they force them to be as contested as possible. Worked pretty well against the Nets last night. Uh, we struggled against the Heat. The Heat have a ton of shooters, though. The Lakers are shooting 31% from deep, just like you said, that plays into their game plan. If they can force them to take contested threes throughout this game, that look that's a good look for the Suns at this point uh, of the season. But they have guys that can just click and then hit shots. Even LeBron, for example, not the greatest three-point shooter, but can easily hit you with three threes back to back to back in any quarter. They have Danny Green, who can all of a sudden explode from the three-point line and hit five threes in a quarter. Uh, Kyle Kuzma is a good example too. Not the greatest three-point shooter, but if you let him get going, he's going to kill you from everywhere on the court. So this is the type of game, as we've talked about with a lot of them, where they have to be disciplined for all 24 seconds on the shot clock because they're going to move the ball. LeBron's going to find guys that are open and they cannot give up when that happens. They have to run out and contest those shots. It's a good starting lineup. You have it here in our notes. LeBron, Bradley, Green, Davis, and McGee. That's a pretty big starting lineup. You know, when the Suns beat the Lakers last year, we were able to put DeAndre Ayton on LeBron James. We can't put Aaron Baines on LeBron James in this game because they also have Anthony Davis and they also have JaVale McGee. This is just, they're too big for that now. That means that you have to... Not to mention Baines can't move like Ayton can't. Right. <laughs> with with right. LeBron. Right. That's a big part of it. You, if you put Baines on LeBron, you're just asking him to take jump shots, which is still good. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You, you can't contest it in the same way. It's it's This is going to be a tough game. <laughs> it's going to be a tough game for the Suns. Yeah, I'm particularly worried about that Anthony Davis, Dario Saric, Frank Kaminsky matchup. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I mean, rightfully to so. Me. The, yeah, that screams to me the one that, that will really hurt. DeAndre Ayton, I think, would help in this game because we saw the defense he played on on LeBron James uh, last season, even though he won't be able to do it exactly the same way, theoretically, in this season, um, or in this game. Um, but also because of the rebounding, the, the Suns might surrender a lot of second-chance points, and that's what could really kill them in this one. I'm not worried about their transition defense against a team like this. Um, I'm a little worried about the three-point shooting, like I said, to begin with uh, this segment, that the Lakers might heat up a little bit from three, but I don't think they're going to kill you. Um, but I am worried about the second chance points in the offensive rebounds. So we'll see how it shakes out. Anything more than that is ultimately speculation. I will just yeah. say, and I hope this isn't hypocritical of me to say as someone who, who lives in New York and not Phoenix, but I hope people turn out to this game um, because yeah. you want this to be a real playoff atmosphere for the Suns and go out and support a team that's 6-3 and three right now. Um, and, and because you know if you don't show up and you're a Suns fan, uh, it's going to be filled to the brim with Lakers fans. Yeah. I'm not going to go because I went to the Heat game and I'm superstitious. <laughs> I don't want the Suns to lose this game. I'm going to watch from home where they've won almost every game I've watched from home so far this season. Uh, so I'm going to do that. But yeah, I think I think it's an interesting matchup. I, I like that you called out Dario Saric there because Dario uh, has been one of the better defenders for the Suns so far this season. Nothing flashy in what he does, but he's been very smart defensively and particularly good in the post. And if they do post up Anthony Davis a lot, this is the biggest test that you get. And what I think with Anthony Davis is if you can force him to shoot moving away from the basket at all costs, yes, he can make those fadeaways, but those are difficult shots. If they beat you on fadeaways turning away from the basket, then they beat you on fadeaways turning away from the basket. You kind of have to give that up. If he can stop him from getting to the rim as much as possible, I think that's the best option against Anthony Davis. He's got ball skills, though. You know, he can dribble. He, he's not. He's a guard that's almost seven feet tall, basically. So do your best, Dario. And I think I'll be interested to see if, <laughs> if and when they double, right? Because they can double LeBron, they can double Davis, and I'm not sure I, I, that those Can are good. they, though? 
<laughs> because if you if you go back yeah. to the right, because this is what we were talking about with the Clippers game. The Clippers win was super inspiring, but you could afford to double Kawhi because they were missing Paul George. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know if you can afford to double either of the stars on this team. This yeah. is the hardest game that the Suns have had so far, and they've had some hard ones. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I can't wait to watch it. Um, if anything major happens, maybe they'll hear from us after this game. If not, we'll be back next week. What's the other game this week? They got the Lakers. I don't and even then, know. The Hawks. Know. Yes, I believe that's right. Without John Collins. So that'll be, uh, I didn't prepare for us to talk about this, but that'll be a fun game. I think the Suns have the edge. Yeah, I think they do as well. And that's a home game. Uh, It's on Thursday, and then we'll be back probably Sunday after that, which we'll be previewing uh, now, getting a little far ahead of ourselves. But I'm looking forward to that Boston game because, well, Devin Booker always kills Boston, (laughs) and that would be nice to see again. So hopefully another Suns win against the Lakers putting them at the top in the conference, I think, at that point. If that does happen, how bizarre would that be? And then, of course, that game against the Hawks will be back on Sunday. Any other thoughts before we go, Sam? That is it for me this week. Uh, watch our... Wait, maybe keep your eyes glued to our YouTube channel. I have a feeling ah. some, uh, some analysis is coming. Teasing a video. Look at that. What a pro. <laughs> we'll be back <laughs> next week. I, mean, I care about winning, and you just care about stats. You think <laughs> Devin Booker's going to Here's the thing. I had Beal. KSC believes in Devin Booker. I had, had Beal. KSC believes in Devin Booker. I had Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.